We're going to be continuing the message from last week, Characteristics of True Gospel Partnership. As we look at this passage in Philippians, we're almost through, almost halfway through Philippians. Um, I know it, it's been a while. I think we've gone through verse by verse, and um, and it's been it's been enjoyable to me. <laughs> so hopefully, it's been enjoyable to you. It's been challenging to you, but we're almost halfway through, at least based on the chapters. I, I didn't count the verses, so we'll have to we'll have to figure that out later. But again, we're looking at characteristics of true gospel partnership. As we know, our theme for the book of Philippians is partnering in the gospel. It's one of the themes of Philippians. Uh, there are other themes in Philippians we've talked about, even, even brought out in, other, in previous messages, themes of joy, themes of uh, suffering and doing it well, uh, persevering. And, uh, and in this, these few verses, we have here a couple of examples that Paul gives to us of of men who have partnered with him in the gospel. And he's kind of giving us a commendation of them. And so we've gone through uh, last week and we looked at um, one characteristic from Paul and several from Timothy. And then we'll be moving on uh, to the third person in this, in this group of verses here named Epaphroditus. Once again, the big idea for this uh, section here is that the more we have the mind of Christ the more Christ-like characteristics will be produced by the Holy Spirit that empower gospel partnerships. Again, the more we have the mind of Christ, the more Christ-like characteristics will be produced by the Holy Spirit that empower gospel partnerships. Again, we've just come from the context of Paul calling the Philippians to unity, calling them to be a a group of people, a church that is unified, namely around Jesus Christ and what he has done. And he even calls them after that to have the same mind as Christ. They are to think like Christ towards one another, towards others uh, around them in reference to how we relate to one another within the church and then how we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are to have the mind of Christ. So that's why, again, in the context of having the mind of Christ, these are characteristics of those who have the mind of Christ, who the Holy Spirit is working on, is, is, is building up, is creating in them these characteristics. These are not just characteristics that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, Right? These are not characteristics that we can just say, I'm going to be more loving. These are really fruits of the Spirit working in our lives to produce in us these characteristics of those who would be true partners in the gospel. Just to recap from last week, we looked at um, several points starting with Paul, as he's making plans. We said a true gospel partner plans submissively and hopefully. They make plans with a realization that God is ultimately in control, ultimately sovereign, and he dictates whether those plans come to fruition or not. But he, we do make plans. Uh, if you're going to be a, a true gospel partner, you need to be somebody who's actually making plans to engage in gospel endeavors. And, and he did it hopefully. He was making plans to send these men back, and he was doing it hopefully knowing that they would go and they would return and, and hoping that, that it would be a good report that God would protect them and, and take them both there and back. Then we looked on to Timothy, and we saw that a true gospel partner possesses genuine spiritual concern. Timothy was one who was unique in his spiritual concern for the church of Philippi. Then we saw that a true gospel partner pursues Christ's interests above their own. 
What are those interests that, that Timothy pursued? It was the interests of the gospel. It was the interest of discipleship. And of course, even in this passage, the interest of unity. Then we saw that a true gospel partner proves faithful through testing. A true gospel partner proves faithful through testing. We know that Timothy was tested right away, pretty much. Um, he went to Philippi, and, uh, and right before Philippi, there was even some, some issues that he had to deal with that he was involved in um, but before, before that. But then he got to Philippi, and we all know the story of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, right? Now, it doesn't say that Timothy was in jail with them, but he was certainly there in, in Philippi with Paul and Silas and others, and he witnessed true persecution. And yet he continued on with Paul, and he continued to travel with Paul, and he was proven faithful at this point in Paul's ministry through that testing. Then we saw that a true gospel partner promotes others' ministry. Again, uh, not standing on the street corner you know, shouting their name, but rather just supporting other people in ministry, realizing that it's not about him. Timothy was a godly man, a faithful man. Surely someone like that should have his own ministry, right? But Timothy was content with where God had placed him under the leadership and authority of Paul in his ministry. A true gospel partner, finally, from last week, participates in gospel pursuits. And this, this sounds like a duh moment, but how often do we consider ourselves gospel partners and yet we don't really participate in anything gospel related? We don't seek to spread the gospel ourselves. We don't go out with others to help them spread the gospel. We don't engage oftentimes even in prayer for those that we know that are engaged in gospel pursuits. So a true gospel partner participates in gospel pursuits. And then we come to verse number 25. And Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. Now, this is a man that we really don't have a whole lot of information on uh, from Scripture. In fact, the only time that he's mentioned in Scripture really is in the book of Philippians. And this makes perfect sense because he's from Philippi, right? He's not a big name apostle. He's not somebody that, uh, that would be in the book of Acts. Um, he's just somebody from the church of Philippi. And that's all we really know about him. But Paul gives us a little bit um, of a commendation about uh, Epaphroditus as well. He kind of introduces us a little bit to who Epaphroditus is. And even though we don't have a long history like we do have with Timothy, where we, we know, you know that where Paul met Timothy and we know that, that he brought him with him and that he discipled them, we don't, we don't have all that information about Epaphroditus. But he does give us some interesting notes here in this verse, verse 25, about Epaphroditus and who he is and who Paul saw him to be. The first thing that we see here is that he is my brother. Verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. What does he mean by that? Well, first things first, this man is a believer. And again, we, we may approach these things as, all right, we know, David, that, that makes, that's obvious, right? He came from the church, you know, obviously he's a believer. Is that obvious? Just because somebody attends a church, does that mean that they're truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Is that an obvious thing? I would submit that it is not. See, Paul calls out the very first thing about Epaphroditus is that he is my brother. He is my brother in Christ. He's not talking about his brother in the flesh. 
He's talking about his brother in Christ. He is a fellow believer. It's interesting that, that Paul would point this out. He's, you would think that it would be obvious, but unfortunately today there are many churches that are filled with many people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. I firmly believe that there should be more unity in the church as a whole. Um, there's a lot of disunity in the church globally. Um, and I think there should be a lot more unity than we, than we have, unity than, than we see. But doctrine is important. Doctrine is important. And, and, it, and none of that is more important than what the biblical writers wrote and told us about who Jesus is and what he did. The doctrines of salvation, the doctrines of Christ, all of these things that, that impact what we believe about where we will go when we die, who Jesus is, what he came to accomplish, these are central doctrines. And while someone may go to a church, if they, are, if they don't believe those central doctrines about Jesus Christ, then they're not a believer. And Paul knew that Epaphroditus was one who understood who Jesus is, understood that Jesus is God, understood that Jesus was born of a virgin, understood that, that Jesus lived a life perfectly with no sin, that he was 100% God and 100% man, fully God, fully man. And that because of that, he could be our substitute. And he could die on the cross for our sins. We even sang it a few minutes ago. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. Are you thankful for that this morning? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe the centrality of the gospel? I have to ask this morning, are you a true follower of Christ? So you can't be a true gospel partner if you're not even a true follower of Jesus Christ. How can you participate in gospel activity when you don't know the gospel personally? If you are a follower of Christ, are you pursuing a relationship with him? Are you seeking to know him more and more day by day? This is the kind of man that Epaphroditus was. Paul says, he is my brother. But then he gives us another word. He says, and fellow worker. And fellow worker. Just like Timothy, Epaphroditus was a proven worker of the gospel. He was somebody that came alongside Paul, very possibly even in Philippi. Paul might have known him there. Uh, as Paul spent time and, and, he, and he worked with them and taught them not just the gospel, but taught them everything that Christ commands us as Christ gave us in Matthew chapter 19, we looked at last week. But it, surely Paul knew Epaphroditus. Um, they seemed to have some familiarity outside of just this interaction with Epaphroditus coming uh, to bring this gift. So Paul knows him. He knows that he is a faithful worker. He calls him a fellow worker. Not just that he's, he's a good guy, but he's somebody that has worked with him. And I, I would assume even more recently worked with him there in Rome. As we know that Paul is in Rome, he's under house arrest, and, and Epaphroditus has come from the church of Philippi. And Epaphroditus, yes, has come to give a gift, but he's also come to be a help and a minister to Paul while he is there. And so Paul has seen Epaphroditus serve. 
He's seen Epaphroditus work. He's seen him be faithful. He's seen him work alongside with the things that Paul was attempting to do. Even, if you remember, even there in, in, in house arrest, Paul was, was still moving forward, right? The gospel was still moving forward. He was still sharing the gospel, even with the Praetorian guard that, that had him under lock and key. And no doubt Epaphroditus was one of the ones there helping him pursue those gospel interactions, not just meeting physical needs, but even pursuing gospel interactions. Are you a laborer for Christ? Are you working for Christ's interests? These are all things that we saw of Timothy last week. Epaphroditus is lining up very much with many of these things. And then he gives this statement, my fellow soldier. He says, this is my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier. The third description that Paul gives here is that of a soldier, someone who is going to war, someone who is defending the gospel. If you remember back in chapter one, Paul said that he is in prison for the defense of the gospel. And he saw Epaphroditus as a fellow, as, as a partner in that defense of the gospel, as a soldier going forth to proclaim the gospel, to defend the gospel against those who would be teaching a false gospel, to, to, to show what it looked like to really represent the gospel, to show that those who were preaching the gospel for selfish gain were, were wrong. This is how Paul saw Epaphroditus. And so as we look at these uh, descriptions that Paul gives of Epaphroditus, we know that this was, again, a, a very good man <laughs> that has, has proven himself over and over and over again. This is not just some guy that came from the church of Philippi and he feels like he has to say nice words about him. This is a man that Paul has seen put himself on the line for the gospel. Is that the testimony that we have? Then he gives one final description here. He says, this is your messenger. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger. Now, of course, obviously, the church at Philippi knew who Epaphroditus was. Um, they had sent him they were, they were well aware of probably all of these qualities that, that Paul is mentioning, but I, I think it's even for our benefit that God allowed him to, to make this point. This is, this is a man who came from the church of Philippi. They knew about him. They understood the type of character that he had. Now, I'm not saying that we should only partner uh, in gospel pursuits with our, with our local body, but I think it's interesting that Paul calls that out. He calls out the relationship that Epaphroditus has with the church at Philippi. He's not just this lone ranger Christian that's out there doing works on his own. He's there on behalf of a beloved local church. Are there many opportunities to partner with other groups and organizations and even individuals and friends outside of your local body? Absolutely. Are, there are those opportunities wrong for us to participate in? No, they're not. In fact, we participate in groups outside of the church, as a church. It's not that those para-church organizations are wrong, but the most important part of our lives and our ministry should be the local body. Why is that? Why is that? 
Because Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God has fitly joined us together as a part of a local body. God has taken each person who is a member of Liberty Hills Baptist Church and fitly joined you together so that you can grow up together with one another in Christ, in love. God has done that. He has has supernaturally brought each individual, each family member into this church for a purpose, and that is to grow us to become more like Christ. The church, the local church, is an essential part of the gospel. It's an essential part of getting the word out. God does not call us to be lone Christians. He calls us to be part of a local body. And here he calls out that reminder that Epaphroditus was. Epaphroditus was a part of a local body there in Philippi. So our next point that we'll be looking at in in our list here, I think we have about 10 total, is that a true gospel partner provides for the needs willingly. A true gospel partner provides for needs willingly. We just mentioned all these great things about Epaphroditus, and we know that he's a lot like Timothy. We see a lot of similarities there. But when you read this next verse, or, or the verse that we're actually in, it says that he was their messenger. Why? And minister to my need. See, Epaphroditus was in Rome, not on holiday, right? He wasn't there just for fun. He was there for a purpose. He had been sent there by the church at Philippi. Excuse me. And Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send him to you because you've sent him to me. He is my minister in my need. He served as a messenger of the church to bring a gift. We're going to see a couple different ways that that Epaphroditus ministered. um, And we'll even look at a couple more a little bit later on this morning. But, But the first way that he ministered is that he served as a messenger for the church to bring a gift. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal to us today. You know, we think about somebody taking a message to somebody. Of course, nowadays, you know, we just send a text. <laughs> they didn't have texting uh, back then. They, they had letters, and, and if you were really lucky, some sort of writer um, to send somebody. But oftentimes, it was just somebody walking to, to carry a message to another city. Uh, so this was, this was definitely different than what we're used to. Um, it's interesting, if you look down in verse 30, it says that, uh, he's talking about Epaphroditus, and he says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking for your service. To complete what was lacking for your service. Now, that word lacking um, does not mean that they didn't give enough. Um, I, there are some people who, I've, I've, as I was you know, researching this a little bit, I did find one mention uh, where they thought maybe Epaphroditus was, was a wealthy person and kind of made up for the extra amount that, that really was necessary, but uh, the church couldn't quite do. Uh, that's not the, the reputation that we have of the church of Philippi, first of all. In fact, uh, we'll see later on in, in Philippians that Paul um, gives them a lot of praise for not just this gift, but gifts in the past as well. So this was a very giving church. And, and again, you'll see later on in the, in the book of Philippians that Paul was not asking for a gift, he had not made a specific need known that we know about. And so this gift wasn't lacking in amount, so it had to be lacking in something else. And, and I think the thing that makes the most sense is that it was lacking in somebody to take it to them. 
It was lacking in someone to take that gift to Paul. And it's interesting because he says there in that verse that, they were, that he was risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Not that the gift was too small, but that the risk was too great. It wasn't that the gift was too small, but rather that the, that the risk was too great. It's estimated that the, the trip from Philippi to Rome, depending on which way you went, would be anywhere from 700 to 1,200 miles. And again, you know, we, we look at that and we're like, okay, well, stop overnight. That's a couple days journey, you know, no big deal. In our 60, 70, 80 mile an hour drive, right? That's, that's not what we're talking about here. This is a trip that would have taken probably favorably by foot about six weeks. Um, so a month and a half and, and in unfavorable conditions up to three months. So this was, this was a long journey for someone to take to bring a gift. Not only that, but they're bringing a gift of funds, all right? He, wasn't, he didn't have a prepaid card on him, all right? This was, this was real money. This was stuff that he was bringing with him. And, and he was bringing this on a, on a long journey, six weeks to, to three months journey. If you know anything about um, the road just in Jerusalem to Samaria, you guys remember the, the parable that Jesus gave of the, of the Good Samaritan? Um, and, and it talks about how the, you know, the man was traveling and he, he was you know, accosted by robbers, right? Well, that road is specifically known to be a dangerous road. And that's just from Jerusalem to Samaria. We're talking about somebody traveling from Philippi to Rome, 700 plus miles. You don't think there's a little bit of danger of robbery? Now, we don't know. It's possible that he traveled with others. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. But whether he traveled with others or not, it was still a, a scary journey. If he went by ship, it could have been a scary journey as well. We, we all know what happened to Paul <laughs> on a ship. Shipwrecked more than once. You know, it wasn't, getting on a ship wasn't, you know, a no-brainer <laughs> back then. You know, it, 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 was, it was an arduous journey. It was a risky journey. And Paul recognizes that fact that he, is, he has come here to, to give this gift that the church desired to bring to Paul, but they needed someone to do it. They needed somebody to do it. And Epaphroditus was willing to take on the risk. He was willing to take on the time spent and travel, the hardship of travel, long days, probably little sleep, concern about protection, making sure that he, he got everything that was given to Paul so that it took care of Paul's need. All of these concerns Epaphroditus was willing to take on. That's just the kind of guy Epaphroditus was. He saw the need and he took care of it. He saw the need and he took care of it. What about you? You know, we have a good group of deacons here and we have a, a benevolence fund and, and whenever there's a need, it's, it's very rare that you would ever hear anybody in the deacons have a question about whether or not we should meet that need. And I'm thankful for that. But that's, that's a, 
a group church thing. What about you individually? Are you willing to take on the difficult needs of those around you? Are you willing to look around and see the hard things that are happening in other people's lives? Maybe the things that are going to cost you a little bit more. Maybe the things that are going to take up a little bit more of your time. Maybe it's the things that, that no one else can or will do. The need's been proclaimed maybe from the pulpit and, and nobody's stepping up. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take on the things that no one else can do? Maybe it's not an issue of someone not being willing to do it, but maybe nobody has the expertise. Maybe God's gifted you in a way that would fill the need that nobody else can. Are you willing to step up and do it? Are you willing to look beyond what you were commissioned to do and see other needs that need to be met and meet them? You say, well, I know God wants me to do this. And are you stuck in that rut? Is that, the, is that the only box of needs that you'll meet? Are you willing to look beyond that and see others in need? Are you going to only meet the need if somebody asks you to do it personally? Are you going to only meet the need if, if doing so is something that you enjoy? Are you going to only meet the need if, if it's something that there's no risk of failure or loss? That's not the way Epaphroditus was. He was willing to take on an arduous journey, a risky journey, one that could have ended in death and, and almost did so that he could meet the need of Paul. Not just of Paul, but so that he could meet the need of the church. They were lacking. They were needy of someone to take this to Paul. True gospel partner provides the needs willingly. He's there obviously with Paul and he's serving him. He's brought this gift. He's, he's working with him in the gospel, serving him. And that's what a true partner in the gospel does. A true partner, a true gospel partner pines for the church of God. A true gospel partner pines for the church of God. Yes, again, I needed a P word. Um, here we have in this verse, Philippians 2.26, it says, For he has been longing for you all. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. That, uh, that word, epiptheo, means long for or desire. It means to strongly desire or persistently desire. All right, this wasn't a one-time thing where you know, Epaphroditus walked into the house a little sad and Paul was like, you know, what's up, chum? You know, <laughs> what's got you so low? And, and Epaphroditus was, well, you know, I'm just really missing, missing home. And that was it. No, this, this, was, this was a feeling that he had persistently, continuously. And it was, it was a strong desire. He was longing for the people back at Philippi. I think this definition is, is important because it shows us the heart of Epaphroditus for his church family. It shows us the heart of Epaphroditus for his church family. Sure, I'm sure there were feelings of homesickness as well. We don't know whether Epaphroditus was married or had a family. Um, my guess is probably not. 
uh, just because of the journey that, that he was willing to take, but he could have, he could have been. So we don't know exactly if there were, if there were you know, longings for home and family and things like that, but we do know that he was longing for the church, right? That's, what, that's who Paul's talking to. He's talking to the church at Philippi, and he says, he is longing for you. He's longing for the church. Seems like every time my family and I are gone on a Sunday, um, we really miss being here. And that's not because I'm, you know, ultra spiritual, It's just because we're a part of the local body of Christ. And we miss being part of the local body of Christ. Now, we may go to a church someplace else, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. As being here with those that God, again, has fitly joined together in fellowship here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. When we're away, we miss being with you and talking with you and and hearing what God is doing in your life. I don't know if you remember, but several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Europe with my dad and my brother for three weeks. That was a long time to be away from home. Three weeks, a long time to be away from home. And yet, just the journey for Epaphroditus was at least six weeks. That's a long time to be away from the church where God has put you. That's a long time to be away from the fellowship of the believers. Yeah, you know, I had opportunity to preach a couple times over there and and even minister in other ways, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as being here with all of you. I can't imagine what it was like for Epaphroditus to be gone for months. Months. Away from the people that he loved. How's your relationship with the church? I'm not asking if you're in good standing as a member, if you're doing all the right things, if you're not, you know, missing on church all the time, things like that. But, but how's your relationship with the church? When you are gone, when you are away, do you long to be back with the people here? Is there a love in your heart for the people in this building that are part of the body of Christ to be back with them? Does it pang you when you realize you are going to be out of town, whether it's for business or for even a vacation, to miss a Sunday? Not because, you know, you're more spiritual if you're here on Sunday. It's not what I'm talking about. But because God has fitly joined you with this body and you love this body and you desire to be with this body. Do you love the local church like Epaphroditus? You know, it's not something that we can fake. It's not something that we can fake and and stand up and be like, well, I really missed you guys. It's something that's built as we build relationships with one another within the body of Christ. That longing that Epaphroditus had. A true gospel partner pines for the church. A true gospel partner persists regardless of cost. A true gospel partner persists regardless of cost. I mean, we've already seen that that Epaphroditus is going on a very long journey. He's going to be away from potentially family. He's going to be away from friends. He's going to be away from the church that he loves deeply. And he's willing to take on that cost so that he can do what he knows God desires of him. 
A true gospel partner persists regardless of costs. It's interesting that as we read this passage, it seems like Epaphroditus came and planned to work with Paul without any known or planned opportunity to return home. Think about that. It doesn't seem like Epaphroditus came with the calendar. Like he was marking the days until he had planned to go home. That's not the idea that we get from this passage. Uh, If you look at the way that Paul even says it, he says in verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Paul's the one with the idea here. Paul's saying, I felt like it was necessary to send him back. He's not saying, you know, you know, Epaphroditus was just whining over and over and over again. You know, he loves you guys so much. He was just, it was really annoying. I was just like, finally, get go. Just go back home. That's not what Paul's saying here, right? He's saying, I, I feel like it's best if he now goes back with you. Again, we don't know how long he's been there. We know he's been there long enough to get sick and to recover from a disease that was near death. And it seems like even now he's still continuing to work with Paul, even after the fact that he is feeling better, that he's back on his feet. And Paul says, I felt like it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. This was his plan. This was his idea, not something that was circled on a calendar for Epaphroditus to be sent home. Verse 28 through 29 says this, I am the more eager to send him. Again, this is Paul saying this. Not Epaphroditus wants this, but he said, I am, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him with, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I think this is a really interesting phrase that Paul, or command that Paul gives to the church of Philippi. He says, look, I'm sending him back. He's trying to make that clear. I thought it was necessary to send him back. It's almost as if the church of Philippi, upon seeing Epaphroditus, would have been like, wait a minute, what went wrong? What what happened? Why are you back? That's kind of the idea that we get here, that, that they would be concerned that he's back and back so quickly. <laughs> and Paul's saying, look, no, I want to send him back for your sake. I want to send him back so that you will be encouraged. I want to send him back so that, so that I won't be as anxious or worried about him and, and his relationship with them and their worry for him. He says, I want to do this for you. I'm sending him back for you. And he even gives them this, this, this command here at the end of that. And he says, um, in, in verse uh, 29, he says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Don't, don't give him a bunch of questions asking what happened. What did he do wrong? How did he fail? No, no, no. Th- this is a good thing. I'm sending him back to be a blessing to you. So honor him. Receive him with joy. Don't assume that anything bad has happened. I want him to be a blessing to you. More than likely, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back with the letter that he's writing. That's what most commentators believe. But Epaphroditus was willing to work and stay with Paul for an indefinite period of time. There didn't seem to be any end in sight for his plan. 
Even though, yes, he loved and he longed for the church at Philippi, this is where God had him at the moment. He was willing to even have the pangs of longing for his church to do what God had called him to do. But then, of course, we have the reality of his sickness, do we not? We have the reality of his sickness. He continued to work during and after sickness near to death. Verse 27, jumping back up there, he says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Right? He's saying, look, he was, he was sick, and not just sick, but he was sick almost to death. At this time, of course, Epaphroditus has recovered. He's recovered enough to at least take this letter back and go on this long journey. So I assume he's, he's fully recovered at this point. So it's not a sickness that's preventing him from going back to Philippi. But he was willing to keep going. He was willing to keep serving, willing to keep doing what Paul needed, even willing to risk his life. He was willing to die for the cause of Christ. Let me ask you this morning, what makes you quit? When it comes to the gospel, what makes you quit? What makes you rethink whether you want to be involved in a, in a spiritual or gospel endeavor? What is your limit is it a financial limit? Is it a physical limit? Is it a time limit? All of these things are perfectly valid reasons to stop or to slow down or to pull back if we're thinking in our own mind. But yet again, the context of these examples is in Paul's command for us to think with the mind of Christ. The sacrificial servant. And if we are thinking with the mind of Christ, then none of these things should be things that dissuade us from serving Christ, from sharing the gospel, from pursuing what he wants us to do. But why do we fail so often to keep going? Is it a fear of failure, a fear of the unknown, a fear of inadequacy? Why do you quit when you know what God wants you to do? Epaphroditus was not a quitter. He was one who persisted no matter the cost, and a true gospel partner persists no matter the cost. Finally, this morning, we'll look back at Paul. We started with Paul, we'll end with Paul. A true gospel partner proclaims God's works to others. A true gospel partner proclaims God's works to others. Very quickly, I just want to point out um, what Paul is, is stating here. He never seems to miss an opportunity to boast about God, does he? Paul never seems, an, seems to miss an opportunity to say how great God is and, and all the great things that God has done. Verse 27, again, he says, indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. But God had mercy on him. He doesn't say, but he got better, so it's all good, right? Paul doesn't say, well, he got really sick, almost died, but thankfully he recovered. 
No, Paul understood the sovereignty of God. He understood that God was the one working in all of these circumstances. And he again shares that reality with the church of Philippi. He tells them, look, God had mercy on him. God didn't have to spare Epaphroditus. Just because Epaphroditus was faithful to do what God had called him to do, that didn't require God to spare his life. He has total authority. He could have done whatever he wanted to. If he wanted to call Epaphroditus home, he could have, and it would have been perfectly right. But God had mercy on him. And he gave him back his health. Gave him back his life. I think it's interesting that that Paul says that God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also. On me also. See, Epaphroditus was a help. He was a partner that that Paul trusted. He was a partner that, that Paul could count on. And God had mercy in giving him health again, not just for the sake of Epaphroditus, but for the sake of Paul and everything that he was doing for Paul. Paul was a man who lived a life of gratitude and he lived a life of boasting in God. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you boasted in what God is doing? When's the last time that you told somebody else what God is doing in your life? Was it a fifth Sunday service? That's a, that's a great time. I hope that you do. Uh, sometimes you kind of start off a little slow in those testimony services. Are we aware of the things that God is doing in our life? Are we even aware of what he's working and the things that he's producing in us, the changes that he's making in us? Are we aware of that to the point that we can boast in him? Not boast in ourselves, but boast in God and what he has done. Do we see the circumstances of life through the lens of God's sovereignty as Paul did? Do we see the sickness that God brings us out of as work that God is doing in our life? Do we see the sins that that we begin to have victory over as the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, changing us into the image of Christ? Or do we think that somehow that's us? Do we boast in God like Paul does? Are you thankful for God's work in your life? Are you noticing God's work in your life? Do you see him working and moving Are you sharing that with others? Fifth Sunday, life group meetings, one-on-one out at the coffee bar, wherever it is. Are you boasting in what God has done? A true gospel partner proclaims God's work to others. Again, these are not characteristics of true gospel partnerships that we can manifest on our own. We can't just try harder because these are spiritual things. These are things that are works of the Holy Spirit. They don't just come naturally to certain people because of their ability or their charisma. They're supernatural characteristics of those who are day by day submitting to the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. Are you a true gospel partner? 
You may be sitting here evaluating all these points and thinking, man, (laughs) I got nothing. If you're not a true gospel partner right now, you can be. You can be. As you submit to the Holy Spirit, as you obey Christ, you can become a true gospel partner. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not making the cut because of failure in one area or another. May I challenge you to give it over to Christ this morning? Cast your burden upon him because he cares for you. If there's sin that is in the way, confess it and forsake it. Get up. Stop worrying about it and move forward. Maybe you're here this morning and you can't be a true gospel partner because you're not even a follower of Christ. Maybe you don't even know who Christ is. In in just a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna remember the Lord's Supper. It's a time where we set aside once a month to just remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. What has he done for us? I mentioned part of it earlier. But he has come to earth, the God-man, lived a perfect life, one that deserved no judgment, no penalty, for one purpose, to give his life as a sacrifice for us. Because we were lost and dead in our sin. Because God is a holy God and we have sinned against him. And there's nothing that we can do to fix that relationship. There's nothing that we can do to pay for that other than judgment forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. Either we will pay for our sin or we will accept the gift of Jesus Christ and his payment for our sin. 2,000 years ago, he came to earth, lived the perfect life, and died on a cross. It's not just a religious symbol. It's not just something that we hang around our neck on a chain. It's a cruel form of punishment where Jesus was nailed with spikes to a tree, to a cross. And he bled. He had been beaten beforehand. He wore a crown of thorns, digging into his scalp. All of these things are what we remember. When we come to the communion table this morning, we think of the horrific acts performed on Jesus by the Roman soldiers. And the call of the crowd of the men of Jerusalem saying, crucify him, his own brothers, his chosen people, crucifying their Messiah. This is who he died for. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. We don't desire the things of God. We do not pursue God. We are his enemies. We actively fight against him. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is what we celebrate this morning. 
We celebrate the fact that we do not have to live as those condemned. We do not have to look forward to judgment, but because of Jesus Christ, we look forward to victory. Are you thankful for that this morning? We look forward to hope. We look forward to bodies that are unstained by sin. We look forward to eternity with the one who loved us and gave his life for us. Men, if you'll come forward as we close in a word of prayer, Andy and the worship team are going to lead us in a song called Remembrance. Because that's what we're here to do. We're here to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. This morning we practice open communion. That means if you are here this morning and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join with us in this time of communion. Uh, If not, we ask that you uh, do not participate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel. As you said in Romans 1, it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. God, we just thank you that you looked upon us and though we were vile and wicked sinners, you had compassion on us. And before the foundation of the world, you had planned to send Jesus Christ to come to earth to give his life a ransom for many. God, there is nothing that we can do to earn that favor. There's nothing that we can do to repay that grace. It is only by your grace that we can stand here, stand before you that we can celebrate this morning the work of Christ. It's only by your grace that we can stand here justified. It's only by your grace that we can stand before you having a righteousness that is not our own, but that is Christ's. Because he took our sin upon himself on the tree. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for that good news that even though we are sinners bound toward punishment, that you loved us and you redeemed us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the fields that are white unto harvest. Lord, I pray that you would work in us to make us people who are true partners in the gospel. I pray that you would move in us to see a world that is lost and dying, that you would move in us to get past our own sinful desires, that you would move in us to get past these worldly things that get in the way that hold us back from being the people that you have called us to be, to being the salt and the light in this world that you have called us to be, both individually and as families and as your church, Lord. And as we take this time to remember what you have done for us, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you would take our minds back to Calvary, that you would remind us anew of your sacrifice, that you would give us hearts that are soft toward your word and towards the gospel. We thank you and praise you for everything that you've done and everything you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.